This is the Planetary Potential Podcast. For those who are eager to explore entrepreneurship, innovation, and cross-cultural communication in exciting and interesting places around the world. And now, here's your host, Andrew P. Rowan. Welcome to Episode 1 of Season 1. Have you ever lived abroad and then returned to your home country only to find out you had changed more than you thought you did? Tao P. Nguyen sits down with me to talk through identity, social expectations, and the overall transition between moving from New York City to Saigon. My conversation with Tao turned out to be a deep dive into what it's like being a foreigner abroad and in some ways feeling like one at home, a sensation more Vietnamese will experience as they spend more time outside of Vietnam as students, tourists, or professional workers. An important reminder that opinions shared on this episode are those of individual guests. For more information, please visit www.andrewprowen.com slash disclosures. Let's head to Lima, Peru to begin our introspective journey with Tao. With me is Tao P. Nguyen, and we are in Lima, Peru in South America. We happen to have crossed paths here, so shout out to Matt Kaliski from Rubicon Venture Capital for having introduced us earlier this year in New York City. Tao recently arrived in Lima from Ecuador, and I arrived here in Lima on Sunday from New York. We've had the opportunity to catch up here and talk about some transitions, uh, both uh, here in this side of the world, the Western Hemisphere, but also back in Vietnam, which is where Tao is from. So welcome, Tao. Thank you, Andrew. It was such a pleasure and such a delight to accidentally bump into you in <laughs> in the middle of South America here. So I originally moved to the U.S. to study uh, for college there for four years and then work in New York for Indiegogo for two years. And it was a very tough decision for me to decide to move back to Vietnam because I really, really love New York and I'm enchanted by the energy of New York, but then um, seeing the potential in Vietnam and reflecting on how much I miss the culture in Vietnam, I think it's I should take a chance to go back to Vietnam and see what are the opportunities there. My plan there now is traveling South America for two months. I have about a month left. And then I'm moving back to Vietnam, moving to Saigon, and then try to find a job, get hopefully connected with the startup community there, and get used to the environment in Vietnam, see what are the challenges there. And my hope is to start something new to try to solve the problems in Vietnam. So you're from Hanoi originally. Yep. Although you have plans to move to Saigon yep. when you go back to Vietnam. Yep. And you mentioned specifically culture. Of course, the culture in the U.S. is different compared to the culture in Vietnam. Yeah. And having lived in Vietnam myself, I do see a greater emphasis on the value of family, yeah. especially close-knit family, yeah. and also the reverence that Vietnamese society has for teachers yeah. and professors in a way that is in stark contrast at times yeah. to the reputations of teachers in the U.S. I also uh, appreciated having family versus not having family in a new locale. So when I was in Vietnam, uh, I didn't have any family. Of course, some family members did come to visit me, but that's very yeah. different. And uh, when you were living in the States, uh, similarly, you did not have uh, family yeah. there, which I know contributed to your decision to return to Vietnam and spend more time closer to family. Yeah. Here in Latin America, where we currently are, there's also a huge emphasis on the value of family. Yeah. Certainly, I'd say it's a greater emphasis than the U.S., and at the same time, there seems to be more elements of community yeah. based on what I've seen here in Lima yeah. uh, and what I've heard as well. I know that some foreigners who have recently relocated to Lima have shared that when they first arrived, they were receiving invitations 
two dying at mm. fellow community members, but Peruvians' homes. Yeah. And this was a way to establish rapport, establish a relationship, very mm-hmm. similar to Vietnam in the sense that you have a series of interactions, coffee meetings, yeah. to build up the relationship, yeah. and to eventually reach a point where you're comfortable enough to do business yeah. with each other. So I thought that was an interesting similarity between here in Lima and a place like Vietnam. U.S., of course, is a bit more transactional in the sense that get the contracts out because uh, the lawyers will take care of some of the risks or the language will help to arbitrage some of that risk. And wondering if that was a difficult transition when you moved to the U.S. initially and also looking ahead, if you have any concerns about reintegrating into Vietnamese society because now you've been outside for five, six years, yeah. and well, things have changed, especially when I first went to Vietnam in 2011, yeah. and then moved to Vietnam in 2013, compared to today, yeah. there have been quite a few changes, so could you please share a bit more about what the challenge was transitioning to the U.S., and then also what you expect might be some challenges returning to Vietnam? Yeah, I think Vietnam and the U.S. are really the two ends of the spectrum in terms of privacy and community. So the U.S. is like the extreme of privacy and Vietnam is the extreme of community. In the U.S., it might appear that everyone is so friendly to you. Everywhere you go, they say, how are you? Hi. But actually, they don't care about how you really are. They just want you to say, good, how are you back? And then you move on. But in Vietnam, like, they really get, like, want to know, get into the weed of how you really are. Mm. And sometimes you don't have your personal identity when you live in Vietnam because, like, your identity is a sum of everyone's expectation of you. So with that, uh, when I first moved to the U.S., I didn't have any personal identity. So I got into an identity crisis a little bit because now I have no direction. No one is telling me what to do, where to go. Um, So it was tough in the beginning. And then the other challenge is that I I was missing the warmth of the people from Vietnam when I was in the U.S. because it's it's hard to get an emotional connection mm-hmm. with Americans in the U.S. So I really miss that. But now when, but like it was an, a great opportunity for me to, to find out who I am and develop myself personally, really trying to see what I like, who I am, in the U.S. because I would never have the same amount of time to be alone anymore. And now I think uh, moving back to Vietnam, it will be the biggest challenge for me to keep uh, myself true to, true to me. So be really firm with what I believe, what I like, because now I know that like people will have judgment on me mm. and they will have expectation of me. So that will be a challenge of moving back. Yeah, so I do agree with you that there are these communication rituals, especially when it comes to, hey, how you doing? And expecting the only answer to be, great, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> but if you were to respond something else like, oh, Something you know, longer, like, they wouldn't listen to you. <laughs> yeah, they, I don't think... I don't think it would be processed. I think it would just be moving on to the next segment of the conversation. And that's in stark contrast to, at least in my experience, people asking many questions in Vietnam. The rationale being because they care about how you're doing, where you're going, uh, what's going on. Even the act of gift-giving, you give someone fruit because you (laughs) care for their good health. Yeah, yeah. be healthy. On the topic of expectations, I'm wondering if there were some social pressures that you became aware of after some time in the U.S. 
So what I mean by that is when I was in Vietnam, the first six months were very different from the next 18 months, which were very different from the next two years after that. So another way to frame that is the questions I had at six months inside Vietnam were very different from the questions I had at two years in Vietnam versus five years at Vietnam. Once I became more aware of the culture once I became aware of the regional differences, having lived in different cities across yeah. Vietnam. So I'm wondering, because I know you spent you spent time in Massachusetts, yeah. and then you moved to New York City, yeah. and, uh, well, of course, there are different regional cultures, still on the East Coast, yeah. but different regional cultures, and wondering as the more time you spent in the U.S., if you became more aware of certain social pressures related to your identity, as first an international student, yeah, right, and then as a New Yorker. Yeah, I think um, in college, the influence, or the, yeah, the influence was mainly like what am I studying, and what kind of social activities that I'm doing, but I get more opportunities to form my ad- identity when I move to New York because. For the first time in 20 years, I have no uh, guidance or agenda to tell me what to do next. So it was a lot of pressure in deciding what should be my future. Mm. So that's not only about career, but also what I like to do and what type of friends that I want to hang out with. It's, yeah, it's a lot of decision at the same time. When I first moved out of somewhere that I've been used to for four years and mm. also move out of a structured education system. So in some ways you were kind of taking a leap then yeah. to, to move to, to New York City. Yeah. And in that sense, so much of our identity is tied to work, Yeah. Right, to employment. Yeah. In the U.S., not sure it's the same in Vietnam. Of course, yes, there's a component of that. Yeah. But for your return, what are some of the other social pressures beyond work that you're thinking about or you might be concerned about? Because yeah, you know, at, at this point, like you're most used to U.S. style things, yeah. right? And you know, things have things have changed a bit in in Vietnam in terms of private sector development, the yeah. economy, the growth, but also the things that I think were once familiar mm-hmm. that seemed familiar might have transformed at least on a superficial level. Yeah, the cityscape, so to speak, in yeah. Hanoi. There were times where I noticed one day a building would be there, the next day yeah. it would be gone, and then. You could see on the third day already scaffolding going up to completely transform an, mm-hmm. an element of that street. So cu- curious again, you know, what what might be some some different social pressures that you're aware of in, in Vietnam? Yeah. Of course, your family wants you to stay close, right? Yeah. Typically, you live with your family and, yeah. in Vietnam and in, in Vietnamese culture until... Yeah until you're ready to move out, which is usually because of marriage. Yeah. The loophole in that in, I guess, Hanoi is to move down to Saigon, right? Yeah. And so, so there are many uh, Hanoians who move to Saigon, and then usually what ends up happening is the Saigonese go to Singapore or, or, or elsewhere. Yeah. If it's not social influence or social pressure, what, do you, what are you looking forward to the most when you return to Vietnam? So to answer your question about social pressure, I'm not excited about this, but it's an apparent concern of my parents. I think they care more about my potential to marry than career, Mm. to be honest. And I think this is a major concern of every parent who uh, have a daughter. So they would prefer the daughter to marry into a good family, a good guy, and have beautiful, healthy children more than, like, more than anything that they, like, that the daughter is hoping to pursue career-wise. Mm. And, well, that sounds like somewhat of a traditional mindset. Yeah. Although very common still in... Yeah, I think it's pretty common. In Vietnam today. Yeah. And have your parents been direct 
in expressing these concerns to yep. you. So no hints, just like straight up yeah. telling you like, be careful because the time that <laughs> yeah. you're spending on your career, you're wasting by not trying to find a suitable partner. Yeah, like they would um, express it by making comments about my appearance. Mm. Like you, for example, you look too dark recently, no one's going to marry you. Oh. And uh, I paid a visit to Vietnam just like two months ago, and they tried to set me up with a guy who is a son of our neighbors. I see, because yeah. they know the neighbor's family. Yeah. They, know they, the... they don't know anything about the guy, but they know the neighbor family is a good family. I see. Yeah. Uh, so how far along did they get in their mission? Like, did they convince you to meet the guy? Yeah, so... They invited the entire family to my house to wow. have lunch. What Was it a surprise for you? Yeah, it was a surprise for me. Um, at first, I just thought that it's our neighbors visiting me. Yeah. But then during lunch, the atmosphere was getting kind of weird because all the attention were getting upon me and the guy. Um, so you guys were sitting next to each other? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so your parents didn't tell you the purpose of the lunch? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, the neighbors will come and yeah. join us. Yeah. And so you join them. And then during the lunch, it was revealed yeah. the true purpose. Yeah. How did you feel when you found out in that moment? I was a little bit upset. and But I tried to be polite with the family and with the guy. But then after that, they wanted us, my family, to pay another visit to the other family by having yeah. lunch over there because they think it's a courtesy to like do a, a like home a home visit mm-hmm. uh, to the other family. Kind of reciprocate. Yeah, yeah, reciprocate. But then I yeah I was very mad and I um, didn't accept to that and we got into a very big argument with my mom. It's one of the challenges that I will have to deal with when I move back to Vietnam, too, mm. is how to maintain my stance and not hurting and making my family sad. Because obviously my mom and my dad has a very different idea of mm-hmm. what a happy life is. And I know that they're worried about my happiness. That's why they are doing this. But definitely my sense of happiness is very different now since I have had the time to reflect on myself abroad. Yeah. Yeah. So on on the topic of happiness then, what have been some of the happiest moments for your trip? So the highlight of the trip, there's so many highlights. (laughs) Yeah. The nature is just amazing and I didn't believe that the scope of nature would be this way before getting on the trip. Mm -hmm. So I went, I visited Galapagos in in, uh, Ecuador, and Mm -hmm. it's a dream for marine life lover to visit one of the most biodiverse spots in the world. And yeah, and I couldn't believe what I, all the different type of fishes and sharks that I've seen and then there is Peru and Huaras. I did a four day trek there. If heaven exists, I hope that it looks like that. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like you made some great memories. It's a bit of a capstone to your time here in the yeah. Western Hemisphere. And along that theme, the positive theme, what, what are you looking forward to in terms of creating new memories in, in Vietnam? Yeah. Because there's also some quite nice biodiversity in yeah. Vietnam. For example, the largest cave in the world, yeah. Sendong, yeah. and which we spoke about a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Would you have plans to visit that cave eventually? Yeah, I think eventually. And I'm excited to be in the middle of Asia again. So it will mm. be much easier for me to travel to different countries there. In the U.S., it was a little bit lonely because the U.S. is so big, so you are far away from everything. Mm. 
you need a car really to get yeah, yeah to go everywhere but i think in vietnam it's pretty much close to not only different cities but also different countries so it will be much easier for me to travel So it sounds like you're looking forward to traveling, yeah. using Vietnam and, of course, Saigon as a base yep. to travel within the region. Yeah. And, well, along those lines, then, do you have any countries in particular that you want to prioritize for travel? Yeah, I want to go to, maybe not prioritize, like all different countries in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good spot. So would it be a similar similar travel trip like this one where you block out two months and then you go around traveling? Um, Or would it be like shorter weekend getaways? Yeah, it would depend on what kind of job that I'm taking on in Vietnam now. Okay, Yeah. so on that topic, <laughs> then what, what would be your ideal job in Vietnam And it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm not asking yeah. like what company necessarily, yeah. but what kind of environment are you looking for yeah. in terms of where you can contribute? Yeah. What are the benefits yeah. that you are looking for in a job yeah. in Vietnam? And I don't mean like workplace benefits, yeah. but where, what, what kind of, A style for contribution, yep. what are the aspects, the priorities that you're looking for in, in, a, yeah. in a role and uh, in an organization? Yeah, so one of the reasons why I decided to move back to Vietnam is because I want the flexibility and the freedom to choose to try out different industries. In the U.S., I think the industries have been long It, and the economy has that has been long enough that there has been an, a concentration of industries in certain cities. So, for example, New York, that would be advertising, finance, fashion, for example. Yeah. But if you want tech, you move to California. And if you want agriculture, then the Midwest in the middle of mm -hmm. the U.S., So you don't really, you can't really choose a city and choose the industry that you want at the same time. But then with Vietnam, since everything is so new and it's a lot smaller than the U.S., in Saigon, you would be able to find all the different industry that you want to give a try out. Mm. So I'm very interested in a few industries that I want to try out. That includes um, agriculture, logistic, manufacturing, and I know that's a lot already. I'm also like mildly interested in city management, hmm. so I don't know that will lead me, but Vietnam definitely will give me more flexibility in terms of trying out different industries. Yeah, so when you say that you're interested in trying out different industries, yeah. Do you mean that you want to connect with people in those industries yeah. and have access to asking them questions, yeah. complementing any research that you do yep. to see if there's an opportunity for you to add value? Yeah. You mentioned four, well, at least three industries. <laughs> one, one Agriculture area. is my, yeah, it's food and agriculture is one of my top curiosity subject <laughs> and that that curiosity stems from it stem exactly stem from so i'm a minimalist there are very few things that i care about mm -hmm. um i don't promote uh over consumerism so i don't promote using unnecessarily unnecessary products i don't care much about fashion anymore So I crossed that out. But food is essential to everyone. Hmm. And it, yeah, it's essential to everyone. It's not only cultivate your body for your health, but also it's a culture, especially a very big culture in Vietnam. Yeah. So I think everyone growing up in Vietnam naturally has a major interest in food. 
And I think now it's Vietnam has a big concern in food safety and agricultural practice. Mm. So having and having seen what has happened in the U.S., the kind of agriculture industry that is, is growing into, I want to be able to shape the future of agriculture and food in Vietnam. And of course, we both like good food. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> does, right? Yeah. Vietnamese food is too too good to ignore. So on that note, what is the dish that you miss the most yeah. from Vietnam? Oh, there's so many. You asked me this and it's really hard to choose one. I can name 10 easily. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about five then? So bún chả, mm, bún rượu, phở, bánh cuốn, oh, wow. and bánh bù lọc. <laughs> Just missing Bia Hanoi, right? Yeah, Bia oh, Hanoi. Bia back. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure once you're back in Vietnam, you will have a lovely time. Yeah. Uh, experiencing you. the wonderful cuisine yeah. that is Vietnamese food. Although, as I understand, you'll only be in Hanoi for a week before heading down south. So you got to get in all that northern deliciousness in yeah. before heading south. Speaking of Saigon and, and Hanoi, you've previously lived in Saigon for three months, right? Yeah. But beyond that, not much experience Yeah. in Saigon. What is it that drew you to Saigon? Yeah. Like, why are you deciding? My first reason is to be away from my family. <laughs> so I'm moving from the U.S. to... Vietnam to be close to my family, but not too close. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I hope they're not listening, but I understand. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, it's good to be close, but not too close. But not too close. Yeah, only a two-hour plane ride yeah. away. And uh, if I decide to stay in Hanoi, it's not very socially acceptable that I live separately, especially mm-hmm. as a woman from my family. So yeah. it's better to move to a different city entirely. Right, right. And also, I think I was very inspired by the energy in Saigon mm. when I was interning there about three years ago. And I feel like the people there are more open to new ideas, to meeting mm. new people. I just have this feeling that I would be able to adapt better in Mm -hmm. Saigon, having Mm -hmm. had that uh, Western influence in the U.S. There are several expat communities across Vietnam. Yeah. I recall uh, when I lived in Saigon, many French, Brits, uh, and Australians. Yeah. And in the north, there were uh, different communities up there compared to Saigon. But wondering if you will have a special, let's say, affinity for the American community because you've lived in the U.S. Yeah. And, of course, you are a natural ambassador and bridge builder between U.S. style and and Vietnamese style. Have you thought about that role that you might play in trying to help bridge that gap, so to speak, between cultures? Uh, Because you are well-experienced in... Uh, American workplace culture, American culture in general, at least on the East Coast, and having been well a native daughter of Vietnam, yeah. of course you know Vietnamese culture. Yeah. Have you given that much thought, or is it more focused on your career and, and professional aspirations? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any specific plans about helping Vietnamese students studying abroad yet, but I do encourage Vietnamese students to, at least in their life, study abroad, in either in the U.S. or in Europe um, or other countries, because I think that my experience in the U.S. was very beneficial in a way that, first, it's like foreseeing the future, because Vietnam... Is the U.S. is already a developed country. It has tested and tried a different way, model of growth. And since Vietnam is a developing country, it's trying to catch up the U.S. in a lot of ways. But the U.S. 
they 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 have tried a lot of different ways to get to where they are now. And if you have seen like all the history of their development, you can pick and choose what step you take and what step you don't take. For example, with agriculture in the U.S., a major transformation in industrialization. Now there is a movement of going back to small farming and organic farming, mm. which ironically used to be very popular in Vietnam, but now Vietnam is picking up on the industrialization part mm. and they are forgetting the organic part. But for example, if we were able to foresee that and know that like after doing after industrialize the US would regret of their decision in that way and we only focus on small farming and organic farming, we would have a better head start in the future, for example. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely value to be gained from learning from best practices, but yeah. also missteps from other countries that are yeah. further along the path of development. And I hope also, not just in agriculture, but in other areas, that Vietnam and other countries can learn from. Yeah. For example, having such car-centric cities yeah, in the U.S. Exactly. where everything is spaced out. Yeah. And now the city design movement is to get rid of cars and get rid of suburban areas because mm. everyone gravitate towards city. They do, they don't like living in sub the suburbs anymore. One of the features, city features, recent city features I noticed in Hanoi was this walking street around Hogum. Oh yeah. And I. I think it's one of the best decisions yeah. that, that was made by Won Kim District. Yeah, I agree. Because the atmosphere on the weekend, so I believe the walking street is open from Friday evening until Sunday evening, mm -hmm. and the atmosphere there is at, at sometimes akin to a carnival. Yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of uh, people playing music. Yeah. You have games on the street. Yeah. Young families everywhere, mm -hmm. children everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's really, I think, one of the more unique experiences that I've had in yeah. Vietnam where every time I experience it, I'm always surprised yeah. by how wonderful it feels being able to walk around without fear of being run over by yeah. a car or hit by a, a motorbike. A mo yeah, a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. And it's a bit surprising too because of the number of cars that are being introduced every day to Vietnamese roads. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad that there are some policymakers that have the foresight to focus more on pedestrian prioritization, so mm -hmm. to speak. I know it's not the only one, of course. In Ho Chi Minh City, you have Win Hue, which had the, uh, the yeah. walking street uh, revitalization. Hue City also has a, a walking street area. And it, it's, to me, I think one of the best decisions that yeah. I've seen Vietnamese cities uh, un yeah, undertake to help, again, promote that sense of community. Yeah. Right? Getting all the people out together among each other as one. Of course, in U.S. cities, even New York City, there's uh, some walking areas. Some yeah. areas have been converted to dedicated pedestrian mm -hmm. areas, especially in around Times Square yeah. and Midtown and such. So not to say that cities in the U.S. aren't doing that as well. Yeah. But it's, it's very different because in Vietnam, especially when getting a car is celebrated so much yeah. in, in Vietnam, in both the workplace and yeah. in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, a, different, a different approach, I think. Yeah. And that used to be the case in the U.S. too. Cars used to be the status of the owner. Yeah. So... But now bicycles are celebrated and walking is celebrated instead of cars. So mm. I can, um, having been in the U.S. and stay there, I can easily see the future of walking and biking in Vietnam too. Yeah. When do you, when do you expect that future to be realized in Vietnam? Hopefully sooner than than the U.S. because, <laughs> like, you can see the residues of a car culture in 
the U.S. Mm-hmm. by seeing how many highways and sub suburban areas have been built around cars and not with people in mind. And I hope that future infrastructure in Vietnam is is built around people and built around walkability of cities instead of yeah. of cars. Because cars is not only is it's a waste it's a very wasteful vehicle. Mm-hmm. Usually only one per person occupy a four people car and yeah. it's not environmental friendly. It occupy a lot of space, so infrastructure tends to be more expensive if it's built around car too. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of reason why cities should be walkable and bikeable. Yeah, well, I'm I'm certainly quite biased because I love to bike. Yeah, <laughs> I love to walk. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, good complimentary. <laughs> I think the urban development and design in Vietnam will will have to change certainly in the next 15 to 20 years as the population ages. Yeah. As people become older in Vietnam, yeah. they just won't have the same mobility as yeah. before. So this means that uh, architects and, and city designers will have to create more accessible spaces yeah. for older people to yeah. maneuver in if they are in wheelchairs, to have access into spaces that they did not have access to before. Uh, It's just a a matter of fact of of senior care and senior living. I hope that these these changes are implemented sooner than later because the longer it takes to implement, the higher the transformation cost will be for not just the city, but I think for society as well. It's, It's... It can be disruptive when it's not built into the design from inception. And also wondering what might be the biggest sort of takeaway or the lesson that you learned yeah. from your time in the U.S. Or what what's something that surprised you either about yourself mm-hmm. or about American people yeah. or about the country in general that you just didn't expect or wasn't on your radar before living, studying, and working in the U.S.? One of my biggest surprises is that when I was in Vietnam and before I actually lived in the U.S., the U.S. is like a model to to the people who live in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So if I want to grow Vietnam and to help view the country, I would look towards the U.S., But now, having lived in the U.S., I have seen the darker side of the U.S. There is so much inequality in the U.S., a lot more than I've seen in Vietnam. So that is one. So you can see see up close the good and the bad. Yeah, the good and the bad. But before, when you were in Vietnam, the U.S. is like such a big country, such a strong country. Yeah, so glamorous. Yeah, this is something I experience a lot in Vietnam is when people ask me, you know, where are you from? And yeah. I tell them U.S. Oh, U.S., number one. Yeah, you know? like, <laughs> so much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then also, you know, I think somebody asked me once why I thought that the vast majority of people yeah. in Vietnam had a favorable impression yeah. of the U.S. And I think it was it was one of two things, like what is portrayed in the media, yeah. but also lack of travel experience, yeah. right? So there's, you know, for many, for a good portion of the people who talk about U.S., yeah. you know, in, in everyday life, in the streets, yep. you know, like I would go to the gym and they would tell me, you know, like, you know, yeah. so and all this stuff. Yeah. I, I don't think they had actually been to the U.S. Yeah. and had traveled to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and traveled across the U.S. Yeah. Or if they had, it was, you know, as, as tourists, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, let's face it, the U.S. has, has a great reputation, has a great brand. Right? Yeah. So it's very difficult, I think, to um, to come to a, a different conclusion, even after having having lived in the U.S., right? I yeah. Mean, it, it must not have been easy to realize that, you know, you're absolutely right, inequality is a huge challenge for yeah. the U.S., Um, it's not the only one. Uh, amount of gun violence that's in the yeah. U.S. Is, is shocking. Yeah, it's shocking. 
and it's hard to juxtapose it sometimes to yeah. all the good and say some some really wonderful qualities that the U.S. has. Yeah. So I understand why that might be. Yeah. That might be jarring. Anything on the individual level, because of course, you know, leaving Vietnam yeah. for the first time to study by yourself, it takes courage. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I think, part of a growth transformation. Yeah. And I think we, we spoke about this a little bit, but wondering if, if your experiences, if you feel they have given you an increased sense of confidence. Yeah. And is that also one of the benefits of yeah. having lived in a different country? Yep, definitely. I think I have gained um, a lot sense of confidence when I was in the U.S. I think I was a much less secure person in like only just two years ago. I uh, was thinking about why... I'm so insecure about myself and go, went through a lot of reflection about myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, like the long time, the excess, excessive, excessive um, alone time in New York afforded me to think so much about myself like this. And I realized that the reason why I'm so insecure is because I'm very critical of myself mm. like for example with other people i would i would not as crit- critical about other people as yeah. i am to myself so after having acknowledged that i had to redevelop a relationship with myself finally accept who i am i think before you aspire and and try to achieve anything in your life, you have to start with cultivating yourself first. Hmm. So I I agree with you. I I think that uh, in general, we are more critical of ourselves. Yeah. And, well, you know, I I think that can be good and bad. Yeah. It can be be positive and negative, of course, if you hold yourself to high standards. Yeah. Uh, but it's a fine line between that and holding yourself to impossibly high standards. Yeah. Not giving yourself credit where credit is due. Not giving yourself some breaks. Yeah. And um, I, I totally, I totally understand that for sure. How did you help to reestablish the relationship with yourself? Yeah. Was that something that? that sort of clicked automatically for you? Or was that a gradual process? Were you aware that you needed to reestablish a relationship with yourself? Or did you already start doing that and then became aware that you were doing it in the process? I think awareness is key. And then everything will roll over gradually. So you have to be aware that you are torturing yourself when you're doing it. When you're reestablishing pro- the, the relationship or not having a reestablished relationship? Which, which one is the torture? The torture for me is telling myself that I'm not good enough. I see, okay. Yeah. And just tormenting myself whenever I make a mistake. Mm. And how about... How about now when you make mistakes today? Yeah. You still you still must be annoyed or frustrated somehow. Yeah. Right? But it, is it not as heightened? Is it not as acute that that sense of frustration yeah. or or dread or anxiety? Now whenever I make a decision, I reassure myself that this is the best decision that I can make at the moment with the amount of emo- information that i have yeah so yeah. later on i don't i don't torment myself about that anymore even though i make a mistake because mm. yeah at the time that's the only information that i can have and that's the best decision that i can make at the time yeah well in, in fact i don't think that you can have perfect information yeah in order to make a decision well certainly 
it's not very realistic in yep. decision making in the everyday life. Yeah. Or at least in some more important decisions. Yeah. In life. But in the process of actually resetting the relationship, was it just a matter of, of, of letting go yeah. of that that weight mm-hmm. that you had been carrying? And I imagine it must have felt liberating yeah. in a way. Yeah. And do you think that process is something that you could have undergone had you not traveled or lived abroad? I think... I could have had the same experience mm-hmm. if I had just had a lot of time to myself and mm-hmm. not having a lot of social influence. So that, that time that you spend alone yeah. reflecting, yeah. kind of ruminating over mm-hmm. some things, yeah. that was deeply helpful yeah. towards you reaching a point where you realize that you were just too harsh on yourself? Yeah, too harsh on myself. And uh, the re-establishing relationship with myself is keeping a new mantra about myself that my self-worth is not dependent on my achievement and not dependent on my characteristic. Self-worth is inherent and it's... Innate. Yeah, it's innate. Mm. So... Even though if I meet someone who is at a much more senior role than I am, I don't feel insecure anymore because role and status doesn't mean that I'm less worthy than the person is. And at the end of the day, we all put our pants on the same way. Yeah. One leg at a time. Exactly. (laughs) We we are all hurt, broken. broken. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, love still burns us at the same level. <laughs> Very fiercely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, looking a bit ahead, in in Vietnam, are you are you at all concerned that some of that critical self review yeah. will reemerge? Yeah. In in Vietnamese society, being among Vietnamese society, because I yeah definitely. I mean, when I when I lived in Vietnam. Folks were very happy to tell me that I was fat all the time. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember I stopped by <laughs> an old by me yeah. shop, and I told her, oh, you know, I, I moved. And she <laughs> says, yes, and more fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, I mean, on one hand, you get used to it. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, it's like, this bombardment of yeah. messaging towards you. Yep. And it's this kind of cycle yeah. that, that ends. I mean, even if you're viewed as beautiful or handsome or attractive, it's yeah. it's always like bestowed upon you. Right. No matter what in Vietnamese society. Yeah. It's like this urge to share. Yeah, opinions. Like, to, to tell you. People like, are very generous with their opinions of you. Yeah, like, d- did you know? Did yeah. you know that you're fat? You know? <laughs> in terms of being back in Vietnamese society, is that something that that you're aware of? And yep. are you are you concerned that yep. it'll it'll impact you in a negative way? Because yeah. it sounds like you've, in a way, the time you've spent outside of Vietnam, yeah. alone in New York, you've achieved this this peace with yourself yeah. and if not peace then this comfort yeah this balance with yourself yeah and then now that you're in another environment well the balance could could yeah. shift definitely yeah i think you capture it very well the social pressure in vietnam so if you are any different than the social standard opinions will be place upon you so you can follow the line Mm. or the standard again. And uh, one of my recent experience is when I was back home for Tate this year, which is the Lunar New Year in Vietnam, a lot of relatives haven't seen me for years and they were very surprised by my short hair. So a lot of people commented on how ugly I am 
and how boyish I am. And at first, I was very, very upset. So, yeah, like when I go back to Vietnam, it will be a challenge for me to maintain this peace with myself and not be affected by opinions. Yeah, I think that's that's always challenging, especially because in some ways, the closer we are to people, I think the 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 more comfortable we are telling them harsher things. Yeah. Especially like things that you might share with your family. I don't think you would say to strangers yeah. on the street. But yeah, I, I, I certainly appreciate how being on the receiving end of comments like that would be certainly hurtful and, and frustrating yeah. because the mindsets are completely different. Yeah. You know, they are and in in the way that they think they're helping you. Yeah. By telling you. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know you're fat? And, you should be on a diet. <laughs> and it's like, I've, you know, I've done my job. Yeah. I've, I've told Tao that she's fat and she looks like a boy and yeah. now she's going to change because yeah. of it. So, yeah. like, good for me and good for her. Yeah. I saved her, you know? Yeah. It's difficult sometimes yeah. to, to figure out some some inner motivations mm-hmm. from, from that side. Yeah, I think there is a line between what I would appreciate opinions on and what I don't. Mm. So for example, for things that is personal taste or something that I just cannot change, like appearance, like my habits or like my hobbies, for example, I would not appreciate opinions on. But for things that like, I actively seek for constructive feedback. Yeah. I think Vietnamese are very good of, at giving honest feedback. Mm. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, in general, once you find people whom you trust in Vietnam, yeah. they're good at, at providing that candid feedback yeah. to you, especially in a, in a private environment. Yeah. Certainly, you know, if you're going to offer criticism, don't do it in public. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. Vietnamese uh, are very scared of losing face. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody likes to be criticized publicly, yeah. but you're absolutely right, especially. On the topic of feedback, if folks out there listening are interested in connecting with you, in Vietnam, either because they have an opportunity in one of the industries you mentioned, agriculture, logistics, manufacturing, or city planning, what's the best way that they can reach out to you in a respectful way, the way that you would want them to? Yeah, so you can reach me at Tao, T-H-A-O-N-P-279 at gmail.com. And I will be happy to chat with anyone because I will be entirely new in Vietnam. Yeah, you'll you'll be in some ways like an outsider. Yeah, an outsider again. In Vietnam. It will certainly be an exciting experience. Yep. And I wish you the best. Of course, please keep us updated on your journey as you progress. Yeah. And until next time, Tao. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. Vietnam will miss you. (laughs) Well, it's mutual. And uh, hopefully the next time we meet will be somewhere else in the world. Yeah. And we can look back on on this time and also look forward to some new memories. Yeah. So all the best until next time and take care. And there you have it. The inaugural episode is in the books. I'm grateful to Tao for sharing her experiences with us and for being candid about the challenges she expects to face ahead. Check out the show notes for more information about Tao. And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, leave a comment, or a review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next week when we'll be in Pura, which is near the border with Ecuador. In the meantime, feel free to reach out directly to me if you'd like to learn more information about the Planetary Potential Podcast or if you'd like to learn more about upcoming interviews. Thank you.